Lesson 13, Christian Living, for December 23 through to 29, ready for teaching on Sabbath, December 30. Sabbath afternoon, December 23. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we've come to the last of the series of lessons from the Book of Romans, and we've studied this book many times before, but the insights we've gained this quarter have been beautiful. We pray that as we continue to the end that your Holy Spirit will guide us. We pray for each of us, those who are listening, that your name may be glorified in their lives, that they may see Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, and that their lives may be blessed this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text is Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's read that again, Romans 14 verse 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We are now in the last part of our study of Romans, the book from which the Protestant Reformation was born, the book that more than any other should indeed show us why we are Protestants and why we must remain that way. As Protestants, and especially as Seventh-day Adventists, we rest on the principle of sola scriptura, the Bible alone as the standard of faith. And it is from the Bible that we have learned the same truth that caused our spiritual forefather centuries ago to break from Rome, the great truth of salvation by faith, a truth so powerfully expressed in Paul's epistle to the Romans. Perhaps the whole thing can be summarised by the pagan jailer's question, What must I do to be saved? That's from Acts chapter 16 verse 30. In Romans, we got the answer to that question, and the answer was not what the church was giving at the time of Luther. Hence, the Reformation began, and here we are today. In this, the last section, Paul touches on other topics, perhaps not as central to his main theme, yet important enough to be included in the letter. Thus, for us, they are sacred scripture as well. How did Paul end this letter? What did he write? And what truths are there for us, the heirs not just of Paul, but indeed of our Protestant forefathers? Sunday, December 24, Week in Faith In Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through to 3, the question concerns the eating of meats that may have been sacrificed to idols. The Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15 ruled that Gentile converts should refrain from eating such foods. But there was always the question as to whether meat sold in public markets had come from animals sacrificed to idols. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market asking no questions for conscience sake. Some Christians didn't care about that at all. 
Others, if there were the slightest doubt, chose to eat vegetables instead. The issue had nothing to do with the question of vegetarianism and healthful living, nor is Paul implying in this passage that the distinction between clean and unclean meats has been abolished. This is not the subject under consideration. If the words, he may eat meats, in Romans 14.2, were taken to mean that now any animal, clean or otherwise, could be eaten, they would be misapplied. Comparison with the other New Testament passages would rule against such an application. Meanwhile, to receive one week in the faith meant to accord him or her full membership and social status. The person was not to be argued with, but given the right to his or her opinion. Question. What principle should we take then from Romans 14 verses 1 to 3? Let's read that. Romans 14, beginning at verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. It's important, too, to realise that in Romans chapter 14, verse 3, Paul does not speak negatively of the one weak in the faith in Romans 14, 1, nor does he give this person advice as to how to become strong. So far as God is concerned, the over-scrupulous Christian, judged over-scrupulous apparently, not by God, but by his or her fellow Christians, is accepted. God hath received him. Question. How does Romans chapter 14 verse 4 amplify what we've just looked at? Romans 14 verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And so to finish today. Although we need to keep in mind the principles seen in today's lesson, are there not times and places where we need to step in and judge, if not a person's heart, or at least his or her actions? Are we to step back and say and do nothing in every situation? Isaiah 56.10 describes watchmen as dumb dogs. They cannot bark. How can we know when to speak and when to keep silent? How do we strike the right balance here? Monday, December 25, Before the Judgment Seat Question. Read Romans chapter 14, verse 10. What reason does Paul give here for us to be careful about how we judge others? Romans 14, verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We tend to judge others harshly at times, and often for the same things that we do ourselves. What we do doesn't seem as bad to us as when others do the same thing. 
We might fool ourselves by our hypocrisy, but not God, who warned us in Matthew 7 verses 1 to 4, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt they say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Question, what is the significance of the statement from the Old Testament that Paul introduced here? Romans 14, verse 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. This citation from Isaiah 45, verse 23, supports the thought that all must appear for judgment. Every knee and every tongue individualizes the summons. The implication is that each one will have to answer for his or her own life and deeds. Romans 14.12 So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. No one can answer for another. In this important sense, we are not our brother's keeper. Question. Keeping the context in mind... How do you understand what Paul is saying in Romans 14, verse 14? I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. The subject is still food sacrifice to idols. The issue is, clearly, not the distinction between the foods deemed clean and unclean, Paul is saying that there is nothing wrong, per se, in eating foods that might have been offered to idols. After all, what is an idol, anyway? It is nothing. As we read in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other god but one. So who cares if some pagan offered the food to a statue of a frog, or a bull. A person should not be made to violate his or her conscience, even if the conscience is overly sensitive. This fact the strong brethren apparently did not understand. They despised the scrupulosity of the weak brethren, and put stumbling blocks in their way. So to finish the day, might you, in your zeal for the Lord, be in danger of what Paul is warning about here? Why must we be careful in not seeking to be the conscience of others, no matter how good our intentions? Tuesday, December 26. No offence. Question. Read Romans chapter 14, verses 15 through to 23, and also look at 1 Corinthians 8, 12 and 13. Summarise on the lines below the gist of what Paul is saying. What principle can we take from this passage that we can apply in all areas 
of our life. Romans 14, beginning at verse 15. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offence. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. In Romans chapter 14 and verses 17 to 20, Paul is putting various aspects of Christianity into proper perspective. Although diet is important, Christians should not quarrel over some people's choices to eat vegetables instead of flesh meats that might have been sacrificed to idols. Instead, they ought to focus on righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How might we apply this idea to questions of diet today in our church? However much the health message, and especially the teachings on diet, can be a blessing to us, not everyone sees this subject in the same way, and we need to respect those differences. Question. In Romans 14.22, amid all this talk about leaving people to their own conscience, Paul adds a very interesting caveat. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. What warning is Paul giving here? How does this balance out the rest of what he is saying in this context? Have you heard someone say, It is none of anyone's business what I eat, or what I wear, or what kind of entertainment I engage in? Is that so? None of us lives in a vacuum. Our actions, words, deeds and even diet can affect others, either for good or for bad. It's not hard to see how. If someone who looks up to you sees you doing something wrong, he or she could be influenced by your example to do that same thing. We fool ourselves if we think otherwise. To argue that you didn't force the person is beside the point. As Christians, we have responsibilities to one another. And, if our example can lead someone astray, we are culpable. So to finish the day, what kind of example do you present? Would you feel comfortable with having others, particularly young people or new believers, follow your example in all areas? What does your answer say about you?
Wednesday, December 27, Observance of Days In this discussion about not judging others, who might view some things differently from the way we do, and not being a stumbling block to others, who might be offended by our actions, Paul brings up the issue of special days that some want to observe and others don't. Question. Read Romans chapter 14, verses 4 through to 10. How are we to understand what Paul is saying here? Does this say anything about the fourth commandment? If not, why not? Romans 14, beginning at verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord to both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Which days is Paul speaking about? Was there a controversy in the early church over the observance or non-observance of certain days? Apparently so. We get a hint of such a controversy in Galatians 4 verses 9 and 10, where Paul berates the Galatian Christians for observing days and months and times and years. As we noted in Lesson 2, some in the church had persuaded the Galatian Christians to be circumcised and to keep other precepts of the law of Moses. Paul feared that these ideas might harm the Roman church as well. But perhaps in Rome it was particularly the Jewish Christians who had a hard time persuading themselves that they need no longer observe the Jewish festivals. Paul here is saying, Do as you please in this matter. The important point is not to judge those who view the matter differently from you. Apparently, some Christians, to be on the safe side, decided to observe one or more of the Jewish festivals. Paul's counsel is, let them do it if they are persuaded they should. To bring the weekly Sabbath into Romans 14.5, as some argue, is unwarranted. Can one imagine Paul taking such a laid-back attitude toward the fourth commandment? As we have seen all quarter, Paul placed a heavy emphasis on obedience to the law, so he certainly wasn't going to place the Sabbath commandment in the same category as people who were uptight about eating foods that might have been offered to idols. However commonly these texts are used as an example to show that the Seventh-day Sabbath is no longer binding, they say no such thing. 
Their use in this manner is a prime example of what Peter warned that people were doing with Paul's writings in 2 Peter 2 verse 13, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. And so to finish the day. What has been your experience with the Sabbath? Has it been the blessing it was meant to be? What changes can you make in order to experience more fully what the Lord offers you in the Sabbath? Thursday, December 28, Final Words Question. Read Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. What important Christian truth is found in this passage? Romans 15, beginning at verse 1. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Another question, in what way does this passage capture so much of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Another question, what other verses teach the same idea? Most important, how can you yourself live out this principle? And another question, as Paul brought his letter to a close, what varied benedictions did he utter? Well, first of all, let's look at Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 15 verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 15 verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of patience means the God who helps his children to endure steadfastly. The word for patience, hupomone, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E, means fortitude, steadfast endurance. The word for consolation may be translated as encouragement. The God of encouragement is the God who encourages. The God of hope is the God who has given hope to mankind. Likewise, the God of peace is the God who gives peace, and in whom one may have peace. Question. After numerous personal greetings, how does Paul bring his letter to a close? Romans 16, verses 25 to 27. 
Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ for ever. Amen. Paul ends his letter in a glorious ascription of praise to God. God is the one in whom the Roman Christians and all Christians can safely put their trust to confirm their standing as redeemed sons and daughters of God, justified by faith and now led by the Spirit of God. We know that Paul was inspired by the Lord to write this letter in response to a specific situation at a specific time. What we don't know are all the details regarding what the Lord had revealed to Paul about the future. Yes, Paul did know about the falling away that he wrote about in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, although how much he knew the text doesn't say. In short, we don't know if Paul had any inkling of the role he and his writings, especially this letter, would have in final events. In one sense, it doesn't matter. What matters is that in these texts Protestantism was born, and in them those who seek to stay faithful to Jesus have had and will have the scriptural foundation upon which to base their faith and commitment, even as the world wonders after the beast, as it says in Revelation 13 verse 3. Friday, December 29. Ellen White writes in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, pages 118 and 119. I was shown the danger of the people of God in looking to Brother and Sister White and thinking that they must come to them with their burdens and seek counsel of them. This ought not to be. They are invited by their compassionate, loving Saviour to come unto Him when weary and heavy laden and he will relieve them. Many come to us with the inquiry, Shall I do this? Shall I engage in this enterprise? Or, in regard to dress, Shall I wear this or that article? I answer them, You profess to be disciples of Christ. Study your Bibles. Read carefully and prayerfully the life of our dear Saviour when he dwelt among men upon the earth. Imitate his life, and you will not be found straying from the narrow path. We utterly refuse to be conscience for you. If we tell you just what to do, you will look to us to guide you, instead of going directly to Jesus for yourselves. And from the same author from the book Desire of Ages, page 668. We are not to place the responsibility of our duty upon others and wait for them to tell us what to do. We cannot depend for counsel upon humanity. The Lord will teach us our duty just as willingly as He will teach someone else. Those who decide to do nothing in any line that will displease God will know, after presenting their case before Him, 
just what course to pursue. And from the Acts of the Apostles, page 163 and 164. There have ever been in the Church those who are constantly inclined toward individual independence. They seem unable to realize that independence of spirit is liable to lead the human agent to have too much confidence in himself and to trust in his own judgment, rather than to respect the counsel and highly esteem the judgment of his brethren. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. Given some of the themes in this week, how do we as Christians find the right balance in A. being faithful to what we believe, yet not judging others who see things differently from the way we do, B. being true to our consciences and not seeking to be the consciences for others, while at the same time seeking to help those who we believe are in error, when do we speak and when do we keep silent? When are we culpable if we do keep silent? And C. Being free in the Lord and yet at the same time realising our responsibility to be good examples for those who might look up to us. Inside Story. Our story this week is the second part of the one we started last week. Remember, he'd jumped out of a plane and the first parachute didn't open and the second parachute didn't open? Let's continue. I opened my heavy coat and tried using it to break my free fall. Then I began praying the most earnest prayer I had ever prayed, believing it was probably going to be my last. God, there's nothing I can do to save myself, but I really want to see your hand at this moment. I realized that the worst thing I had ever done was deciding to leave God. What would happen to me now? An apartment in Leningrad and all the military honors in the world didn't matter anymore. Looking below, I could see the open parachute of my commander. All of a sudden, some wind came and pushed me right into his parachute. But you can't stay on top of a parachute for long. As I slid off, my commander grabbed me with his strong hands and held on with an iron grip. We were falling fast, and he told me how to hold my feet so we would land as safely as possible. After landing, we were taken to the hospital with only minor injuries. The next day, a story appeared in the newspaper about this extraordinary experience. Everyone recognised that things such as this don't just happen. It was a miracle. From then on, my prayers were different from what they had been before. Two weeks later, when I had my appointment with the general, my answer was ready. As I walked into his office, he looked at me and smiled. He was quite sure that I would agree right away to his proposal. Sir, I told him, I have thought about your generous offer, and I have decided not to stay in the army. Shocked, he asked, What will you do? Well, sir, I will follow the call of the party. I am going to go to new places and cultivate new territory. At that time, the communists wanted to develop land in Siberia and were encouraging people to settle there. The general stared at me, 
Well, soldier, I've seen many crazy people, but you are the craziest of them all. After his time in the military, Pastor Zahulizak secretly worked as a pastor and organised the underground work of publishing religious books and materials for the Seventh-day Adventist believers in the Soviet Union. He and his wife, Yevgenia, were imprisoned for this work and later released. They have been married for 63 years. And you can read more stories from the Euro-Asia Division in the Mission Quarterly online at www.adventistmission.com. And that brings us to the end of a quarter, to the end of the year. And I just want to pay tribute to my three grandchildren who composed that little bit of music we have between the days. They did that when they were, I think they were about 12, 13 and 14. And to finish, here is another grandson who at 16 is recording the sign-off feature for this quarter. Look forward to 2018 and remember that God is always faithful. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harrell. It was recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind. This podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel.